Welcome to Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine. And I'm John Gagan, also from Planning Magazine. Every fortnight we enter Room 106, the world of pain into which all new planning information is deposited, and extract the key things you need to know. The government has postponed the introduction of some elements of its biodiversity net gain requirements. We'll explain what planners need to know. The levelling up department's new director of planning appointed only four months ago, is leaving. We'll look at the implications. Yet more local plans have been delayed. We'll explore which councils are involved and the reasons they're giving. And we'll also round up some of the other big news stories of the past fortnight. By the end of the show, you should be more than ready for a coffee with the office know-it-all. So, time to face the music. Ready to go in? Okay. Well, here we are again in Room 106. Yes, and this week we've got some help at hand. Here's our senior reporter, Samantha Eckford, and our online editor, Toby Porter. Hello. Hello. Hi, Sam. Hello, Toby. Uh, Look forward to speaking to you later about some of the stories you've been uh, covering this week. But uh, first of all, John, I think you've been looking at some changes the government have made to when it's going to be introducing its biodiversity net gain requirements. Yes, that's right. So the government this week has revealed new details about its impending biodiversity net gain requirements. And this is due to come into force in November. And it means that developers will have to provide a 10% biodiversity net gain when building new developments. But the Department for the Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, or DEFRA, has announced that small sites won't have to meet the new requirements until April 2024 so five months after it becomes mandatory on larger sites. And this is to allow local planning authorities and developers more time to prepare for what it calls a high volume of applications. So just as background, the biodiversity net gain policy was introduced in the 2021 Environment Act. DEFRA consulted on the details of the policy in January last year, and now it's published its response to the consultation. Okay, so I guess the key question is, what does it mean by small sites? A DEFRA statement earlier this week defined small residential sites as those that provide less than 10 homes on a site smaller than one hectare, or where the number of dwellings provided is not known, this is less than half a hectare. And for small non-residential sites, these are defined as less than 1,000 square metres of floor space or smaller than one hectare. Okay, and what's the sort of rationale behind what the government's done? So the DEFRA statement this week said that the um, net gain requirement for small sites will be subject to a phased introduction. And this is, in its words, to ensure implementation is targeted towards developments which would generate the most impact. And according to the consultation response document from DEFRA, it said that while respondents were generally supportive of the commencement date of November 2023, They raised concerns about how prepared local planning authorities are. And it went on to say that to lessen initial burdens and allow a longer period for developers and authorities to adapt and prepare for the high volume of minor applications, we will extend the transition period for small sites until April 2024. So its rationale is to allow councils and developers more time to prepare. So this is probably going to be a relief for some councils. Are are they going to get any more support? Yes, 
Back in January last year, the government announced £4 million for local authorities to help them prepare for net gain, and this included expanding ecologist resources. So this week, they announced that a further £16 million of funding would be made available to support local authorities with the transition. And it also published new guidance on what net gain is and how it affects developers and local authorities. And there was more details in the consultation response. It said that the £16 million would be provided between now and November this year. And this will be followed by further new burdens funding once the requirement's in place after November. It also said they're continuing to provide support through the Local Government Association's Planning Advisory Service. And in addition to that, it said there's a need for further clarification about how councils should apply the policy in the MPPF and in their local plan policies, and it would consult on any changes required to national policy in due course. Okay, and uh, finally, is there anything else in the consultation response that people need to know about? Well, when the consultation was published last January, practitioners we spoke to flagged up two proposals as potential challenges. One was extending the measure to brownfield sites, which previously were considered for an exemption, and another was the requirement that the net gain should be delivered within a year of the development being started. So the consultation response this week says the government will push ahead with including brownfield sites in the policy, but there may be some flexibility on the 12-month deadline. So the government noted that some respondents raised concerns about it and questioned whether it was reasonable and achievable for certain sites, such as phase developments or those with complex engineering demands. So it said, we will take these observations into account as we draft the final guidance. We intend for this part of the guidance to influence planning authorities' application of conditions, planning obligations and covenants, rather than to be enforced as an inflexible rule itself. So there may be some degree of flexibility on that one. Okay, John. Well, thank you very much for that. You're going to be joining us a bit later on, I think, to give us the roundup of other news stories that we don't have the chance to cover in depth. Farewell for the moment. And hello to Samantha Eckford, the uh, planning senior reporter. Sam, in um, recent weeks and months, you've been covering very regularly the delays, postponements, abandonments of a series of local plans that phenomenon is continuing, it seems. Yeah, so three more councils have in recent weeks delayed their local plans. So this is East Devon, West Suffolk and Secretary of State Michael Gove's own constituency council of Surrey Heath. What have the councils said about why they've made their decisions to delay? So all three cited the proposed changes to government policy and the ongoing NPPF consultation. So West Suffolk pushed a consultation on the submission version of its draft local plan, which had been due to take place this spring, back until the latter half of the year, citing the need to factor in any possible changes to the MPPF as the reason for the delay. The authority said the alternative to this would risk delays and increase costs further down the line as the council would have to amend the strategy to account for any changes to the MPPF and then reconsult. East Devon, meanwhile, has halted all discussions on its local plan site allocations. The authority said that some of the proposed changes to national policy could potentially give the council greater flexibility with its housing targets. It agreed a motion put forward by the leader of the council meaning that no further discussions or decisions on potential sites will take place until the government makes its decision. 
And then finally, Surrey Heath, which is Michael Gove's constituency council, said that it delayed its local plan timetable following the government's publication of proposed changes to national planning policy. According to a statement issued by the council, the new timetable will take into account recent government proposals. Like East Devon, the council talked about the potential for housing targets to become more flexible and said that the proposed changes may help it to protect its greenbelt. Okay, so these are yet more authorities joining the growing list of councils that have delayed their plans because of these proposed changes to government policy. Yeah, unfortunately, that is the case. So um, as of mid-January, our research found that 19 councils had delayed or withdrawn plans since September. Seven of these had directly cited the government's proposed changes to national policy as the reason for doing this. So the addition of these three takes up to 10 councils that have paused or delayed their plans as a direct result of the MPPF consultation. Anything else we need to know about in the local plan sphere for the um, last couple of weeks? Yeah, there is. Mole Valley in Surrey has had its request to remove all of its Greenbelt sites from its submitted local plan, refused by an inspector, who said she was unable to comply with the request as it was based on emerging rather than current policy. So a bit of background, the authority had submitted its plan for examination in February last year, and then following the publication of Michael Gove's early December ministerial statement, it announced a pause to the plan's progress. Then last month, the council wrote to the inspector requesting the removal of all of the Greenbelt site allocations included in the draft plan in light of the proposed changes to the MPPF. The inspector's now responded to this request to say that she's unable to permit the removal of the Greenbelt sites as it was based on the draft version of the MPPF rather than the adopted version. However, she did say, given the circumstances, she would be receptive to a request to formally pause the examination. She acknowledged that while this wasn't the answer the council was hoping for, she was required to work within the bounds of legislation, regulations, national planning policy and advice as currently stands. It sounds like a council trying to use the draft revisions to justify big changes in their local plan and to justify a removal of Greenbelt sites that they might have jumped the gun. Yeah, one to keep an eye on. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Sam. Toby, one of the stories that you've covered that seems to have prompted the most interest has been the um, announcement or the, or the revelation, maybe I should say, that the new director of planning at the Department of Leveling Up is shortly to move on. Yes, exactly. And uh, the tip-off about this change came only three or four days after we'd had a letter from Deluck confirming that he'd been appointed to a very major project in their department. So it was quite a shock. What do we know about Smearing? Just just remind us about his, uh, his background. So he's got initially an academic background. He's got a BA in history from Oxford and then did an MPhil postgraduate degree at Cambridge in international relations, so perhaps had his eye on the Foreign Office at the time. But he's since then spent 19 years at the Treasury, right up until October, acquiring, rising as far as Director of Public Spending at the Treasury. So he got to a very senior post and must have been highly rated within government departments. What post is he going to go back to at the Treasury? So he's going to go back to Director General of Public Spending. So he's gone from Director of Public Spending to Director General of Public Spending, which is quite a jump. He goes from kind of the top 20 to the top five in that department. And in the time that he's been at Duluc, what what has his role been there as Director of Planning? So he had succeeded Simon Gallagher, who's obviously been a very senior member of the team at Duluc for a long time. So he was going to replace him big shoes to fill. I suppose it might suggest that this sort of senior civil servant was brought in when planning was a major priority for the government. And does this sort of rather reinforce this sense that maybe planning is um, 
not top of the government's to-do list between now and the general election, and it's um, and therefore it wants this person to take a, a role elsewhere. Well, if you look at the timeline, the Theresa Villiers amendment, which sparked Michael Gove into making all those alterations to the MPPF and amendments to the Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill. So Smearing was appointed in October. Those changes all came in December. And by the end of January, he's almost gone again. So you can put two and two together. But one thing I should add is that posts he held in the Treasury were Principal Private Secretary to the Chancellor, Press Secretary and Head of Communications. So he can jump between very different roles. And Deputy Director of Corporate Finance Business innovation and skills at the Treasury, as well as fiscal policy. So this is a man who can command a brief quickly and change it quickly. He had just only very recently been announced as taking on a new task within his Director of Planning role. Is that, is that right? Three days before we got tip-off about him moving back to the Treasury, we were sent a letter from Deluxe saying that he'd been appointed the senior responsible owner for the massive digital planning program to digitise the planning system in local authorities. It was to take up a third of his role in Deluxe, so a huge part of it, and a big, big responsibility because it's it's the future of planning. What have the departments said about the reason for his return? I mean, KG, the spokesman said uh, only that wouldn't give us any reason why he'd come into Deluxe and then gone back to the Treasury so quickly. The spokesman said... No replacement has been appointed. There will be updates at some point, which is kind of stating the obvious. So no real explanation for the short-term nature of the appointment. Although, you know, it is interesting that you say that in the period when he was there, there, there was a very significant piece of legislation brought forward in terms of the, uh, of the MPPF consultation. OK, well, thank you very much, Toby, and look forward to seeing you in Room 106 again soon. John, you've got a few more stories to bring us up to date on. Yes, that's right. I've chosen five big stories from the past week. The first one is inspectors have advised a council in the Midlands that its draft local plan is currently unsound due to its failure to take account of the housing and employment needs of neighbouring authorities. They've told Shropshire Council to revisit the sustainability appraisal underpinning the strategy and suggested it's likely to have to release further Greenbelt land. My second story is an inspector allowing an appeal for a 595-home urban extension on high-quality farmland after ruling that the council's core strategy was out of date and it couldn't demonstrate a five-year housing land supply. The inspector judged that the scheme's benefits in South Gloucestershire would outweigh the harm that it would cause to the setting of nearby Grade 1 listed buildings, including a Tudor-era castle. Next, we've got the government's housing delivery agency, Homes England, awarding a £495,000 contract to a multidisciplinary consultancy to draw up a planning application for a 678-home scheme in Merseyside. Next, we've got a judge upholding a planning permission for a scheme for 2,750 homes and in doing so dismissing an NHS Trust's troubling argument that the local authority should have required the developer to contribute to the costs of short-term healthcare provision for the new residents. The judge also suggested that ministers should consider the wider issues raised by the case 
So that's one for the planning lawyers to look at. Finally, it's been revealed that the Greater Manchester Combined Authority has spent more than half a million pounds on fees for a single planning barrister during the production and review of its city regional plan. Okay, yes, and that was uh, Christopher Katkowski, KC, who uh, was the first equal-ranked barrister in our law survey last year. And then finally, do you have a sort of quirky, eyebrow-raising story of the week? Yes, we've had plenty of coverage recently about TV presenter-turned-farmer Jeremy Clarkson with release of the second series of his show, Clarkson's Farm. Firstly, we covered the news in the national papers that a planning barrister who was mocked by Clarkson for his spelling during a planning committee meeting on the show revealed that he actually has dyslexia and wrote to Clarkson to highlight the challenges he's faced over this. Secondly, a new story about a district council defending itself after scenes of disputes between its planning officers and Clarkson appeared on the latest series. West Oxfordshire District Council said it undertook enforcement action regarding Clarkson's application for a car park at his Diddley Squat farm shop as a last resort after efforts to resolve the dispute behind the scenes came to nothing and it said the council's advice to him had not been followed. Okay, well, thanks very much, Sean. And, of course, listeners can read more on all of those stories at planningresource.co.uk. Fantastic. I think our work is done. Let's get out before there are any more announcements or decisions. Great. That's another fortnight summarised. Yes, We'll be back with a bonus edition next week when we take a deep dive into more of the changes to the system in the proposed MPPF revisions, plus asking what the appointment as planning minister of Rachel McLean means for the system. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts and to get a daily bulletin of planning news, plus weekly analysis and specialist bulletins, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. Our thanks to producers Hannah Holt from Haymarket Business Media and Daisy Chaku from Rethink, and thanks for listening. See you next time.